0: Welcome to The Mentor Files. I'm your host, Monica Royer, founder and CEO of Monica and Andy. Join me as I chat with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, inspiring CEOs and experts at the top of their field to bring you the audible MBA, unfiltered advice and mentorship every mover and maker needs to find their voice and success. Here we go. After being diagnosed with celiac disease at a young age, Annie Wallace quickly learned the direct correlation between what you put in and on your body and how you look and feel. This revelation ultimately set the path for Annie's career right from the start. She became a holistic health coach, then a yoga instructor, and ultimately a founder of one of the largest organic cold-pressed juice companies in the world, Suja Juice. In 2015, after an investment from Coca-Cola and Goldman Sachs, in 50% of Suja, at a valuation of $300 million, Annie made the decision to step away from the company, but her entrepreneurial journey was far from over. In late 2017, Annie launched Lawless, the first luxury natural cosmetics brand to provide beautifully packaged, highly pigmented, long-wearing, all-natural makeup with clean, non-toxic ingredients. Needless to say, I immediately became obsessed. Annie's goal, to change the world of natural makeup and provide women with beautiful products like never before. I can't wait for you to hear about Annie's journey. Today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Annie Lawless, CEO and founder of Lawless Beauty. Annie, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: I've been vegan for a little over a decade and I've known, of course, got a chance to know Sarah Wolf of cult capital. And she was like the first person that mentioned lawless to me a couple of months back. And I have to say, I've become an incredibly avid customer. I absolutely love the brand, but for oh my p-
1: gosh, thank you! That means a lot to me. Yes,
0: I have my Annie lipstick on right now. Like it's my absolute so favorite. Do I. <laughs> <laughs> it's I love it. That's obviously
1: the shade I wear every day.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, you you nailed it because it's 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 my favorite as well. But for people that haven't don't know what Lawless Beauty is yet, tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. So I started Lawless in. October of 2017. And it's really, you know, sort of born out of my passion for clean ingredients, but also my love for beauty. So my background is in the health and wellness space. I had an organic cold pressed juice company called Suja. And I've always just been so fascinated with nutrition and ingredients and the correlation between what we consume and how we look and feel. And so in, you know, around that time about a year before launching Wallace, Sephora was really bringing on so many new clean skincare brands. And I had completely transitioned over to clean skincare. I swapped out a lot of my favorite products for clean versions. And I noticed my skin just had so many improvements and, you know, it just was clearer. The tone was better. It was smoother and I, I thought that a lot of the things I had been using were really congesting my skin and kind of suffocating it with all of the silicones, the fragrance, the mineral oils, the parabens. And so I thought, okay, I'm now spending more money on clean skincare and spending the time and effort to seek out clean skincare products. But five minutes later, I'm putting all these ingredients I'm trying to avoid back on my skin with my makeup. Like this makes no sense. And so I'm a full face of makeup kind of girl. I love full coverage. I love full pigmentation. I'm not like a no makeup makeup person. That's just not my journey. I love makeup. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try to replace some of my complexion products like foundation, blush, concealers with clean versions, because those are effectively like putting on skincare. You put them all over your skin. And when I wanted to switch, I I couldn't find clean products on the market in the color category that were comparable to the makeup that I was used to using. And it was all very sheer earth tone, not super pigmented, very light coverage, tinted moisturizer level. And I was like, oh no, no, as a makeup girl, this is just not going to work for me. Like I need full coverage, clean makeup. And so that was kind of when I realized I have to do this because there have to be so many other people out there like me that want the same payoff and pigmentation and performance that they're used to from their makeup, but they don't want all of the harsh ingredients. So that was kind of how Lawless was born. And that's our mission is to do high performance clean. So you don't have to sacrifice the payoff and performance of your makeup To
0: go clean. I love that. And I feel like so much needed because, as I said, like I, you know, I've been vegan for over a decade, like really focused on organic and health and wellness. But I will agree with you as a a, like a makeup lover myself who's not really into that sheer coverage. I felt like it was really hard too. I was super excited to discover the brand because I do feel like that high pigment. It just feels like a lot of the high-end brands that you love that have all of the ingredients that unfortunately you don't. So I definitely feel like that's such a niche in the market. Annie, tell us a little bit about your background. Let's go before Lawless and sort of what, what you were doing that led you to to launching this company. Because I feel like after reading about you, you had like a very, a very successful previous company as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Before Lawless, I had an organic cold press juice company, like I said, called Suja. And kind of even before that, just to give you a little background on why I even cared about juice or nutrition or health or wellness, growing up, I had really bad eczema, like all over my body, my face, my arms, my legs. And I was getting to an age, I was like about 12, where I was really self-conscious about it. And we moved to a different area. I'm from Phoenix. My parents got divorced. So I switched to a new pediatrician and I had gone all these years just using steroid creams and kind of being told to deal with it. And this new pediatrician said, you know, there are a lot of babies and infants have eczema, but they grow out of it and you still have it pretty severely. We should do some autoimmune testing because eczema is autoimmune and figure out if there's some underlying contributor to this. And it turned out after some blood work that I was positive for celiac disease and that's a gluten intolerance, which now is super well known. Everybody knows what gluten is. Everybody knows what celiac is. But back then I had never heard the word, never heard the word gluten. There wasn't even like whole foods or health, you know, grocery stores in our area at this time. And I was eating like every normal kid, you know, pizza, cookies, pop tart sandwiches. So I was eating this food my whole life that was basically causing me to have this autoimmune response. So when I cut gluten out of my diet, Within two weeks, my eczema disappeared. And that was kind of the light bulb moment for me at a really young age was like, oh my gosh, you know, what we eat actually does affect how we feel. Like it can cause problems or it can make you better. And I don't think in grade school you're ever taught anything about food, nutrition, or like the link between your health and wellness and what you eat. You kind of just eat what you like and move on. So that was really the beginning for me of just like this fascination of wanting to read nutrition books and learn how to cook and get into juicing and reading all these ideas about, you know, how healthy food can really help cure all of these different diseases. And so I carried on with that all through high school and college, got very into juicing, read Dr. Norman Walker's books, who was kind of like the first pioneer of cold press juicing. And he actually developed the first cold press juicer called the Norwalk Press so i bought that juicer and i just never looked back and then after college i moved to san diego where i live now for law school and i was juicing all throughout and i was teaching yoga at the time to put myself through school and you know make money for rent and i would always take green juices to my classes and people kind of would ask what it was where i got it how i made it i mean at this time i was really miserable in law school i was like i definitely don't want to be a lawyer I, I learned very quickly, like I was not passionate about law. I was going to USD at the time. And so I was sort of at this crossroads of like I love yoga. I loved the world of health and wellness, and I was kind of like doing that in my free time. But I knew like I, I've chosen this path of law. I've already invested so much money and time into it. I was really torn. And so a guy came to take my yoga class, and he had a green juice in his hand. And we struck up conversation, and it turned out we both were, like, huge Dr. Norman Walker fans, if that's not geeky at all. Um, And we just obsessed over health and nutrition. He had a Norwalk press as well. And so we kind of teamed up and started this local home delivery service throughout San Diego. And that was kind of the beginning days of Suja. And we really just were doing it out of passion for making juice. And, you know, I don't think we ever foresaw it being like a nationally distributed juice brand in retail and Whole Foods and Costco and Target. At this time, it was really just, you know, out of our house, local home delivery service. But that was how it started. And I actually dropped out of law school um, and then decided, you know, I I love doing this. I really want to be happy and I'll figure it out. But like when I wake up every day, I'm so much more fulfilled and happy pursuing these passions of mine than I am going to law school. And I just knew I. I didn't want to get out of law school and be stuck in that system of working in a law firm and then just working my way up the ranks. And then before I know it, years go by and I'm in this profession I hated. So I got out and committed to juicing and that was kind of how it started. That's incredible. And,
0: you know, I feel like it's a good testament if you've started one company and then still had the bravery to start another company, then I feel like that (laughs) that, that bodes positively for the experience overall of like of starting a company and kind of seeing it. Through to fruition, how much time Annie was in between Suja and and Lawless, or was it like a pretty seamless transition for you between the two?
1: No, I took some time off. So we started Suja in about 2011, and then you know there were several rounds of fundraising involved in that, and several stages of growth. We went from home delivery to getting our first kind of local investors, our local little you know operation. Then we scaled, got Whole Foods, and really kind of legitimized our company grew our headcount, got, you know, commercial machinery. And then we launched into Costco and Target and really multiplied our manufacturing facility capabilities. And, you know, we grew and grew and grew. So that took about four years. And in 2015, we sold 50% of that to Coca-Cola and Goldman Sachs. And it was about that time I stayed on for a little bit. And then I just decided, you know, I really want to to be back where I was in the beginning, putting my passion into something where like I'm building something from nothing. And I think Suja had evolved to the place where it became a little bit corporatized. There were so many more people involved. The teams were so much bigger. We were nationally distributed and I just didn't feel like I could have my hands on the creation of products and like the day-to-day things that I love at that point. So that was when I really decided, okay, I'm ready to, take my passion for health and wellness into another category, start something from the ground up and kind of like learn it all again and challenge myself and like experience that tension, you know, being a business owner, it's like this weird tension between like, there's so much crap that you have to learn along the way. And so many daily challenges that are so stressful, but it's also like addicting because it's like how you kind of thrive. Like I love waking up and having a challenge and a purpose. And so I think that was what I missed when Suja kind of became autopilot. It was like, I'm ready to do this. So I took about a year off. And then, like I said, we sold in 2015. I stayed on for a bit, kind of did did my thing 2016. I had a YouTube channel where I was doing makeup tutorials. I had a blog that was like a lifestyle, health, and wellness blog. And that was sort of like the prerequisite to Lawless. It was where I gathered a lot of information and data about my readers, who was this girl that was into health and wellness, but also here to see my fashion and beauty and my glam. And like, she cares about makeup, but she also cares about what's in it. And so that was like a nice research period for me to really hone in on like what I wanted to do in this next phase, and the type of makeup products I wanted to create.
0: And how difficult was it, Annie, from sort of the moment that you decided, because I'm assuming juice isn't necessarily easy to make to begin with, I'm sure like a grand scale, but you can make a juice at home at least to start. And like you said, you were able to distribute that initially kind of by yourself. I assume makeup is very mm-hmm. different. It's not, it's not something that you can probably easily cook up in your kitchen. So no. you know, it's like production. And, and I know from having like, you know, got certified organic factories for clothing, if you want the production done right, and it's going to be organic and there's going to be all these other elements to it, then it's even more difficult than making the pro the product and, you know, w- with all of its regular chemicals that it would come with. So Talk to us a little bit about the difficulty of like, of really bringing the, your first product to fruition and what product was that?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's so funny. I get asked this all the time because I think people think that because I had a clean brand before, it's like, I already knew what I was doing going into makeup and that couldn't be further from the truth because like food And beverage versus beauty are two completely different industries with completely different sets of regulations. And in a lot of ways, food is easier because beauty is so unregulated. Beauty is like the wild, wild west. Like there's no definition of what clean is. The FDA doesn't regulate, you know, ingredients and formulas. And in food, it's the opposite. They're all over you. Every single label, every single ingredient, every single manufacturing process is scrutinized like under a magnifying glass. So in some ways you have a playbook. And also with food, you know, we had a shelf life sensitive product, so we didn't really hold inventory. So it's very straightforward of like our orders in relation to our production. We order produce, make the juice it goes out the door where beauty, you know, it's a, it's a different animal. You're holding inventory, you're buying months and months in advance, you know, betting on these forecasted numbers because all of your packaging comes from China. Then all of your filling and manufacturing happens. Well, for us, mostly in the U S. So you have to like factor that time. And there's all these moving pieces that I was just not used to dealing with. So my first product was a line of liquid lipsticks. And I knew I wanted to do liquid lipsticks because this was like the summer before I launched was like when Kylie Lip Kits really blew up. And she kind of like made that thing a phenomenon. And I was like, you know what? Like Kylie's not a brand for I'm a 32 year old woman. Like it's not really like my vibe, but I love like. The idea of having something that appeals to a younger audience that's full coverage, long wearing, super matte and pigmented, that's like super trendy right now and clean to show that clean can be like trendy, sizzly, sexy. It doesn't have to be just like your boring lip balm products that like you typically see in clean. Like we can make a liquid lipstick that has like full staying power in this category. So I went to a lab. I just Googled, went to a bunch of labs that were local, kind of like in L.A., so that I could actually meet the people and like just pick their brains and when I talked to them you know and explained what I wanted to do that was when I kind of set in for me like oh the timeline involved in this there's really like an R&D process Then I have to submit all the shades for matching then I have to test the product and we have to go into stability testing component testing I have to order the components they come in the labeling all these different things started coming together So it was a journey for sure. It took me a good year to really like get my ducks in a row and understand what it entailed to get a product from conception to market. And that was a really exciting time because that still applies now. You know, that same sort of blueprint of getting that first product to market kind of applies to every launch we've had since.
0: And as you were doing this, talk to me a little bit about the team you had in place. Obviously, at Suja, that team had grown tremendously. You had, had like mm-hmm. a partial acquisition within there. And then you, as you exited the, the organization, it was like really, really big. As you started Lawless mm-hmm. and started on this journey, did you immediately bring like a small team together? Or how did you assemble people around you in order to, to get you to where you wanted to go? No, and this
1: is a really timely question because With what's going on right now, it's kind of come full circle, my team size, which I'll kind of explain. But I had no team. I was it was just me. I had not one single employee. I launched the brand single handedly. And my husband, obviously, just because we lived together, was very helpful in just like heavy lifting, you know, when I needed I mean, he packed my first PR boxes. I remember that I was sending out to influencers and I had a meeting up in LA. And I remember he went to our third party logistics and like was sending me pictures, trying to understand like what shades went in what slot and like the notes from me. (laughs) And it was just, that was, we were scrappy, but for the first year, it was really just me, myself and I, and that was incredibly challenging. I was doing a lot of things I'm not good at, which there's far more capable people out there that I could hire to do the job better. But you know, in the beginning when you don't have capital, I was completely self-funded for the first two years, every body that you bring in costs you. And it wasn't worth it to me at that point. So I did all of the creative, the product development, the marketing, I hosted all the events, all of the social media, packaging design, everything. And that I think is one of those things where a lot of people think when you start a business, you have like this business plan, this team in place, you already have investment and you're fully organized. And that's just not the case. And it really pays off in the end if you have that period of doing everything yourself, because then when you do grow and scale, you've done everyone's job. You can relate to your team, you know, the ins and outs of the business, like the back of your hand, because you've been that person on the ground level, you know, shipping things out, packing boxes, printing labels, developing products you know, all those little nuts and bolts that go into the final product that you see on a shelf. So the first year was really like that. And in the second year, I brought my brother on to do finance. He had an investment banking background and he was working at Royal Bank of Canada at that time. And I said, you know, I really, really need some help. We're scaling, we're growing. I've got Sephora now. I need someone to do the books. And the next year or two, I'm going to think about investment. I'm going to need someone to help lead that process. And so he was really like my first official hire.
0: That's so fun. And I mean, I haven't shared that much about my background, but I've had, you know, even when I started the company, like I worked closely with my brother as well. And he was, he was never a part of Aww. this. Until, yeah. He had founded a um, men's apparel company called Bonobos in 07.
1: Oh my God. I know Bonobos so well. My brother's like obsessed. That's like my go-to place for gifting for him because he has like an obsession with Bonobos shirts. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: He loves <laughs> Bonobos and he's the Andy and Monica and Andy.
1: Um, and he launched, oh my
0: God. yeah, it's well, which was really fun. So he launched Bonobos in 07 and it was actually the same story as yours, but he had gone to Stanford business school. And so right, we flew out there for his graduation. My parents were super excited because they're like, Oh, your, your brother's going to get this great finance job. And we sat down and went to dinner with him and his then roommate at the time. And they were like, Oh, we're going to launch an online men's pants company. And in 07, we were like, online men's pants. Well, first of all, he wasn't that fashionable. <laughs> So we were a little concerned because we weren't sure anybody would want to buy pants from him. And then second, nobody buys anything online. So in 07, we were very deeply concerned that that was the direction that he was taking from a career standpoint. But my mom is an immigrant from India. And so my brother and I are half Indian. And like, so we weren't exactly, we never felt we were like other people. We didn't quite fit in anywhere. And so we're really close. And so my parents, you know, said to me at the time, I had spent the previous decade at Pfizer and Novartis They said, you know, don't quit your day job like we want to make sure that, like, you know, you can support your brother if needed, which, of course, fortunately now has not turned out to be the case. Um, But now that he was at Walmart for some time and he's recently exited from Walmart. And so he has come to Monica and Andy as our executive chairman. And so this is the first time that we've really more actively been able to work together. I mean, he's still not in the day to day of things. But I feel like having that type of an advisor at your company and like having somebody that's that close to you, I'm I'm assuming you and your brother have a fantastic relationship if you're able to work together. But tell us a little bit about how you managed that.
1: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. There really is nobody better or that you can trust more as like, you know, your advisor, right-hand person, keeping an eye on things, especially the numbers and family. And my brother and I truly are best friends. Like I had alluded to earlier, our parents had a divorce that was pretty nasty when we were, when I was about 12 and he was younger, he's four years younger than me. And so my mom went back to work full time and we really bonded because it was just kind of the two of us. My older sister was, had her license and was kind of like, she was a little bit ahead of all of that in our house and she was like on her way to college. And so my brother and I really were like two peas in a pod and I would pick him up from school. When I got my license, we always hung out every day. So we've always had this really deep relationship. And I think he's always kind of looked up to me, almost like a mom versus a sister. So we have that shared trust where like, when I said I'm doing this, it's happening. And like, I really need you. It wasn't like a second thought for him. It was like totally like I'm here, whatever you need, like no qualms about leaving his job. It was like a very nice moment between us because I think he knew I trusted him to bring him on. And I trusted that we would, we would be able to do it together. And I, I think, you know, he trusted me that I wasn't going to let this thing fail. Like if, if he left his job, like we're going to do this and it's going to work out. So it was a really good partnership. And I don't think to this day, we've had like one fight. It's just really seamless that's really incredible. And did you plan wholesale
0: to begin with, or did you do your like direct to consumer? Did you have your website and wholesale right from the kickoff of, of launching Lawless?
1: Yeah. So I actually was so blindsided going into Sephora. I launched the brand just thinking I was going to be DTC. I was totally like, you know, this is my second rodeo. This is going to be something fun and we'll see where it goes, but I really like the DTC model. I don't have to worry about the logistics of a retailer. I don't have to worry about a margin, you know, and I think that's kind of where I want to be. And then I launched in October and got an email from Sephora in December, which was unique because you always think that you're the one that's going to be out pitching to retailers. But I got an email from them and they said, you know, we're, we're, this was right before they launched their clean seal so they were looking at a lot of different clean brands. And I think because I had had my blog and kind of social presence just through that, they were kind of looking at like new up and coming clean brands that they were seeing kind of around the internet. And so they reached out and said, you know, we saw your brand. We'd love to have a call. And if it makes sense then set up a meeting at our headquarters in San Francisco, So I have a call with them. I kind of explained, I've got these lipsticks, you know, I had no other launches planned at that time. I said, you know, I don't have a team and whatever. And they, they said, okay, well, we'd love to we'd love to meet you in person and try them. So I went to meet with them kind of late that winter, early January. And in 2018, we launched on .com in February, March. So I think it was the last week of February. So it was very quick and unexpected, but it was one of those things like where opportunity comes knocking. You don't like answer the door and say, you're not ready. You just like go. So I, I just kind of ha- flew by the seat of my pants quickly learned how to fulfill Sephora POs. And then shortly after I worked on my second product, which was a liquid foundation to build out my assortment. And it kind of just grew from there. I launched on.com that first year, and then it did well. So the second year we launched in-store in 54 stores with our own gondolas. And that's kind of where we are now in our second year.
0: That's pretty amazing. What do you feel like from a challenge perspective, Annie, is similar between Suja and Wallace? Are there certain things that come up and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, like I expected this to happen? Or are there really new challenges with Lawless that you didn't have with Suja?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that there's a lot of overlap in just sort of like the back end packaging and like supplier kind of, you know, situation where sometimes ingredients are delayed and have these really bad lead times. Sometimes packaging comes in wrong. I remember we launched our first product, our first juice order with Whole Foods. And it was the first time we did official labels like printed because before we launched in Whole Foods, I used to actually write the names of the juices on the bottles with a Sharpie. So I ordered these labels and we did this thing called high pressure processing HPP, which effectively kills bacteria in the juice while keeping it under 40 degrees. So it's still raw. And part of that process is the juice gets submerged in an ice bath and the ice bath around it gets pressurized to 87,000 PSI. So what happened was the ice bath ended up like freezing the ink on the labels. And then when it would like defrost, all the ink ran off the labels. So I remember my partner, Eric, and I went to Whole Foods that first day to take a bunch of pictures of like our juice on shelf. And we're so excited. And we pull up and all of the type and labeling is so messed up and you can't even read it because it's all jumbled. And it's just stuff like that where, you know, I've had many moments like that with Lawless where like I've gotten, you know, a 25,000 piece order from my manufacturer of like a packaging and realized there's a typo on the label. And I'm like, oh my God, these all have to be stickered. Or I hear that there's this big delay because the white colorant isn't coming in, so now I'm going to have to airship something. And being with Sephora, it's a much bigger playground where I don't want to be late on my Sephora POS, or I don't want to. It's not just my own little site to worry about. Where okay, if a, if a launch is late, it's late. It's like no, I've committed. It's going live on .com. We've got all this social to back it up. We've got this like digital marketing strategy. So there's a lot of things like that that just happen that you you can't anticipate and you don't foresee, but you kind of just have to expect. And you have to just remain calm and like click into problem solving mode because there's literally nothing you can do. I think that's great advice.
0: And I think that if for people that are out there that are listening that are thinking about starting a company, I think that's the mentality that it takes. Because to your point, Annie, it's like, nothing ever really goes totally right. And even when no. things go right, really right, they put po- you end up with all sorts of other issues to deal with anyway. So I feel like when you start off, it's like, there's all the problems of actually getting started that are of course difficult to overcome, but it's like that growth time frame that sometimes is the hardest part to manage because there's no real roadmap, you know, for being able to do it. And do you feel Annie like if you were giving advice to someone just starting between sort of what you've done at Suja and what you've done at Lawless, what do you feel like is the most important thing for like a, an up and coming CEO and founder to know about starting a business?
1: I think that one of the, one of the most important things I wish someone had told me when I was first starting out is like, nobody really knows what they're doing. So like, don't be intimidated or go into things feeling discouraged when you do have those bad days, because starting a business is like harder than having a child. Like it's one of the hardest things you'll undertake because there's just so many facets, you know, things that you have to have that are put together to have a successful business. Anyone can start a business, but a successful business, a sustainable business, you know, most businesses don't make it. And so, you know, it's a really hard thing. It's supposed to feel hard. And, you know, when you look up to these brand founders or these big companies that you see and think, wow, you know, they're so successful. I wish I could be like that. They had no idea what they were doing either. They started just where you did. And so I think that's like the biggest hurdle mentally is getting getting over that hump of like, all right, you know, there's nothing stopping me. I can do this because I think that's what prevents so many people from even starting. Like I have so many friends who are like, oh, I love, I had that idea when they see a business pop up or like, I really want to do this. And I'm just thinking, well, why don't you? And it's like the fear is holding them back because they feel like they don't have something that all these other people that were successful had. And that's just not the case. Really the only difference between People that you see with successful businesses is the fact, and yourself is the fact that they actually did it and got started and you didn't. So I think that's one thing is like it just helps put things in perspective on those bad days when you're just learning and you have to ask a million questions and you have to seek out help from mentors and people in the industry and like you feel like a fool and you know you don't be embarrassed by that. Like ask 10 questions and then ask 10 more. Like everybody has been in your shoes. And I think knowing that going in helps you be a great leader because you're humbled and you're receptive and you're open. And I think as a CEO, I try to be that every day, especially to my team and to anyone that, you know, is trying to help make the business better. Is like having that open mind and that receptivity, knowing that I don't know everything and like being open to help. I think that's such a good point. I remember, and
0: if you listen, my brother was actually the very first podcast that I did, you know, back some time ago. And I do remember his advice was, "Nobody really knows what they're doing. Just pretend like you do, and eventually you'll figure yeah. it out." And I think that's so true. And I think part of the dirty little secret too is like I, I feel like what for me, four five years in. I still actually feel like I have generally no idea what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, which is really scary if I think about it. But I feel like the more, totally. like when I started to a certain degree, I actually felt like I knew more. And the more that I do this, the more I realize there's so much to learn. And I think along the way to your point, you can always be humbled by things. I mean, recently, and and by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be a little bit, it'll be a little bit of ways from this happening, but you know, we had our first, like, COVID for us was our first true customer service crisis. And that was incredibly mm-hmm. humbling. Like, we went from, you know, we we changed our prices to begin with because we thought, like, the world is changing, right? And so, like, let's change along with where the world is going. And in that, at the time that COVID was starting to as- accelerate, we were switching for the first time to our own 3PL. We'd owned our own fulfillment for the first, like, five years of the business. We, and we just had this incredible team that was working with us and it was just, it was wonderful, but from a scale perspective, it was getting to be really, really difficult. And so in the middle of the pandemic, we're literally making our moves to like our new 3PL and. Um, oh my for, God. Yes. And if for, I mean, I think like if you start off with a 3PL, that's probably like, you, you'll, you never experience a transition to a 3PL, which is, I mean, we have like personalization and like embroidery on things and handwritten gift notes and. And, and, you know, at the moment, like shipping, generally speaking, during COVID is like, it's still pretty good, but not like a 1000%. It just, there's just hiccups that there didn't used to be. And so we have, you know, we have always prided ourselves on exceptional customer service. And it was just like, it was, I'm certainly not proud of the fact that it happened. I wish things could have gone differently. We've now resolved like the shipping issues that we had, But it was like, it was so humbling for me. And it was such a good reminder that you're, you know, you're always like, you're never, and certainly we're not. Too big to fail or anything like that, but I just feel like at every stage of the game there are things to learn, and like things can go wrong at any at any time. So it's like just remain humble about what you're doing. It really reminded myself, and I think the team that you know was just like, hey, there's problems that we can encounter that like we things that we had nailed before that could still go sideways. So I feel like you know I try to take in from every experience, regardless of the good or bad, you know what like whatever sure. the best lesson you can learn,
1: but Oh my gosh. I mean, I was like, yeah. I mean, I switched three PLs before actually just earlier this year and it's a process and doing that amidst all of this going on in the world right now. I mean, I can only imagine how stressful that is, but that just goes back to like remembering that like, sometimes you just have to click in a problem solving mode. There's nothing you can do. Like it's a mistake. It wasn't handled properly, you know, the way you would have had you known, but how are you going to fix it now? You know, you, you can't dwell. You've just got to pick up the pieces and move forward. And I think that resilience is what will really keep you moving forward and not becoming paralyzed when those days happen. And these, you know, these times do occur no matter the size of the company, big or small, no matter how big the team is, no matter how smart you think you or your team are, these things just sometimes happen and you have to be able to adapt and react quickly. Exactly. So I feel like that was, there's, there's humbling lessons all
0: along the way. You
1: know, obviously, Annie, I was
0: introduced to you, to you from, you know, Sarah at Colt Capital, who I tremendously admire. Tell us a little bit yeah. about your your fundraising journey with Lawless. It sounds like initially you bootstrapped, which was incredible. How did you, when you really? decided to get inve- investors, like, how did you select who you wanted to invest in, <laughs> you
1: Yeah, this is a great question because Colt was a decision that was, like, very, very important to me. I like I said, self-funded for the first two years. And I did that because coming through Suja, you know, I was 24 years old in law school working at a yoga studio. So we obviously had to take capital pretty early on. And so that was a great experience for me. And then we did three subsequent rounds after that. And then obviously experienced the sale. So that was just an amazing education to me on investment and funding and just like what it all means. And going into lawless, I knew I wanted to, really take the time to establish the brand on my own terms and self-fund as long as I possibly could so that I could get my own two feet on the ground and get the brand established before bringing outside money and opinions and guidance in just so that I really had a brand that I felt was me through and through. So I did that the first couple of years and then it became time you know, to keep up and scale and grow with all these opportunities to bring on capital. And I started sort of a formal process of going out, you know, with a banker, talking to a lot of different, you know, private equity groups, VCs, you know, just kind of figuring out what type of money I wanted to take and what type of people I wanted to partner with. Because I learned through Suja, it really is like a marriage when you take capital. You, your investors are on your board, you are communicating constantly. It's a partnership and you want to be able to lean on them and have them really be in the trenches with you as a partner, not just a chat. There's a lot of money out there and you can get money anywhere, but what you can't really get is, you know, that strategic help and that friendship and that true partnership, you know, from a lot of money out there. It's just, it's just a check essentially at the end of the day. And so I knew I wanted something deeper than that. And I was actually really far down the process and thought I had selected the investment partner that I was going to go with. And then I got an email from Sarah at Colt and she kind of just gave me a brief overview of Colt told me about her partnership with John's background, and I was intrigued, and I was actually headed to New York that same week, and she said, you know, if you're ever in New York, I'd love to chat. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be there. I might as well just, like, grab coffee with her right before, you know, I pull the trigger on all this and just see if there's, you know, a synergy, So she met me at my hotel in the lobby and we had a great chat and I was just immediately taken by how interested she was not only in the brand, but in me had done so much like background research and knew so much about my life and was fascinated by my story. And you can tell that her interest was deeper than investment. It was like in, in being part of something, being part of this brand with me and I, I loved that. I, I left that meeting feeling so recharged, so energized. And we we were talking for several weeks and I told her, you know, I'm really far down the path with this other, this other fund. I'm going to have to pass obviously, but you know, we love you guys. It's a really tough decision. And then I was like down to the wire on like solidifying my deal with this other party. And I just could not stop thinking about Sarah and John and I just, I I realized, wow, you know, like I miss them. <laughs> I miss talking to them. They're so sweet. I've spent so much time like, you know, rapping back and forth with them and they are so interested in the business. I love the way they see it. They're so aligned with me. I could see myself really enjoying working with them. Good days and bad. Like, I think that their vision is so on my wavelength and we would just be phenomenal. And so I pulled out of my other deal. And I just realized like they are the team for me. Like, like I said, it's a marriage and they were like my most compatible partner. So it was a very personal decision for me. And I think Suja really impacted that because before I didn't know to be that emotional with this decision. And this time around, I really knew that like I I will be with these people till the end. So I really want to have the best personal close relationship with them. It's not really just about the cash. And so that was kind of how I landed with them. And I couldn't be more thrilled with my decision to this day. Like every day is a dream having them as my partners. I love them.
0: I think that's really good advice, Annie. I think that, you know, I didn't realize this in the beginning between my husband and my brother and I, we actually had three companies. My brother had a, has, had Bonobos my husband has a direct-to-consumer furniture brand, but called Interior Define, and then you know Monica and Andy. And so between you know the three of us, we set out and like what would I would not recommend of any family should set out to do, which is to have three companies simultaneously. And <laughs> <laughs> definitely don't try that at home. And it's interesting, like just seeing different boards and different dynamics. Like I started out with. What turned out to be incredibly evergreen capital. Like we just had, I have an investor out of Kota Capital in San Francisco by the name of Bobby Yazdani, and you know he had started Asaba Software, which was like a software company, and and taken that public, and and then had gone on to make like numerous tech investments. And he really saw us as this sort of like event driven children's brand, and was one of my original angels. So at first it was like friends and family, and then you know like kind of an angel round, and and then on to sort of a Series A and having good human beings around the table people that have the same values as you is so important because at yeah, the day, kind of like you said about a marriage it's like you know if this company is like a baby and they are like appendages for us right it becomes like a limb you don't even know it's there but you kind of can't live without it you know then the people that are investing in you have some semblance of control over your life and if they're the right people you know, having the right people invested in you and invested in the future of a company can be incredible, but having the wrong people can be just so detrimental. So I could not agree with you more. And for people that are listening, it's like, of course you want to take money and, and the actual capital itself is important, but if you can really vet and select who you take it from, and those people share the same values as you, I think that that can become, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference in the beginning, maybe. But when the tough decisions come, when the hard times come, like it, it is so important because despite how good a company is, like there's always hard times for stuff. Mm-hmm. And even what we're all going through now, you know, it's good to have people that are supportive around the table just because, I mean, nobody was expecting this. This pandemic wasn't something that was on anyone's one year operating plan, right? Different for different companies. But I think that's really, really good advice. Annie, tell us a little bit about the future. Tell us what, what the future holds for Lawless and, and where you hope to take it.
1: Yeah, so like like I said, right now we're exclusive with Sephora. So we're really kind of in bed with them growing the brand. We love, I think they're a phenomenal partner. I couldn't be more happy with the decision to launch there early on. So that's really our main focus right now. We don't have plans to really go to other retailers at this time, but we are looking to go international. So that's one exciting thing I think will happen in 2021, which we are currently just in the US and Canada. So I think that'll be a really fun adventure for the brand. I think clean is something that is really, really taking off in color in other markets. So I'm excited for that. And we're in 54 doors in Sephora. So hopefully we'll expand it into more doors there. And I have three more products launching this year. And next year we have like a really exciting launch calendar. So big picture for the brand, I really just, you know, focused on building out our assortment and basically being able to do a full face of makeup start to finish with Lawless. I really want to make clean beauty accessible to mainstream consumers who may or may not be super into clean, but know they kind of want to cut out some bad ingredients. They don't know where to start and there's nothing in clean that they can find that's comparable to their Estee Lauder Double Wear Foundation. We're the brand for that. So I really, that's kind of my mission and my goal is to, is to, you know, make clean table stakes and really make it not the exception, but the norm and just something that should be every product that you use, should be better. And I want to make better products for people to make their lives better. So, you know, I think just growing out our assortment and really making the brand, you know, a full color line is my biggest goal.
0: Well, I'm incredibly excited to continue to follow your journey. And I'm super excited that we got a chance to meet because I feel like I, you know, it's great when you find a brand that you love, which Lawless was going to be no matter what for me. But then when you get to find a founder that Thank you really you. get on top of it. I hope you enjoyed the episode. For more information and tips from our guests, stop by MonicaAndAndy.com or check us out on Instagram at Andy. If there's someone you want to hear from or a topic you'd like us to cover, please leave us a comment on iTunes. Thanks for tuning
1: in.